Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Gals of Geekdom podcast. Uh, I'm Jazzy, and I'm, of course, the one who swears a lot and also causes chaos and destruction. If you heard random screaming outside your window, don't worry, that was me. Joining me is the usual co-host. Hello, I am Lizzie Lemondrop. Uh, I, I talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> and we have our guest today. Would you mind introducing yourself? My name is Lucia Lavosia, and I am so excited to be here. <laughs> you may, um, regular listeners may notice that we have uh, someone missing. Uh, Crystal will not be joining us today. I believe she's having uh, teeth extracted. So, fun. She's having a great time. She's probably super high right now. I hope, I hope that she, she has a speedy and swift recovery. Teeth extractions are never fun. Yeah, uh, I had one a I had one a few weeks ago, and yeah, once I got over the uh, feeling like high as fuck on the stuff they gave me, it was miserable. It was wisdom tooth extraction for you, right? Yes, it was. I had that done um, as an adult because, of course, I didn't have insurance most of my childhood to get them done, mm-hmm. and all four of them were so impacted, and the bottom two were t- the roots were tangled in facial maxillary nerve so like three different oral surgeons were like i'm not touching that you could get paralyzed so i was like great i ended up having to do it at ucla hospital <laughs> i got my wisdom teeth out when I, all four of them at the same time when i was 19 that was super fun i i was in pain for like i want to say a month and a half it was still sore mine was it's only dreadful. The top, mine was only the top two but like the, like on the bottom, one of them hasn't grown in, and I don't know if it ever will. The other's there. It's just not bothering me. So, huh? It's minding do its own business, so I don't feel the need. So I don't feel the need to bother it. So, do they do they think you'll ever need to extract them like down the line? Fuck, I don't think so. No. <laughs> I hope not. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. So, Knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, Hello? Lucia, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Um. Sure. So I um mostly like to go on long walks on the beach while dreading my existence like most of us but other than that I um, work on a project currently called Batman SNAM which is an insane project I never should have started but I'm already here and I'm here for ride or die and it is an attempt to retell all the most beloved stories from the Batman universe in one consistent and coherent timeline um I am a voice actor and a professional writer, so uh, when I first started doing this, it was for friends of mine that were interested in DC, but uh, not all of them had jumped into comics, because comics can be very difficult to access if you're not ready. I always say comics are like drugs. You need a friend to introduce you to the world to know what you're doing, and then it uses up all your money. So... (laughs) um, But, uh, so I started writing these scripts to kind of be accessible to friends of mine, even ones that weren't that familiar, but still entertaining for friends of mine that were. But since I am a voice actor and so many of my friends are professional voice actors even, they all wanted to read them. And so it it was so incredibly voiced, so many spectacular talents, including Jazzy. I was going to say, I was going to joke, I might have heard of this Batman Athenaeum project. (laughs) (laughs) You are phenomenal. It sounds a little familiar. You are phenomenal, absolutely. And and everyone in the cast will say so. You've become such an iconic voice for the characters you voice that it's an inside joke for anybody 
who who's in the cast or has like listened to the the live streams where we do cold reads. But that was the project. Um, in addition, of course, I also do voice acting. I currently am writing for an original animated series as well. Um, I don't know how much I can talk about that or about what I'm recording for because NDAs and all that. But um, yeah, that's that's the biggest thing. But I'm happy to talk about Batman all day long. <laughs> This is officially um, the Batman special. Oh, God, I, no, we can talk about anything. I am a Harley Quinn stan, ride or die for my girl, so that if we talk about Batman, that is a direction this conversation will go. I am happy to go that direction. And in fact, I, I am wondering if you've read Harleen by uh, yes. Stefan Sedgwick. Yes, yes. They're, like, they're like, my copies are like like five feet away from me, yeah. My <laughs> personal favorite origin for her. I love it, it's perfect. I'll need to read that one at some point. Very, very good. Beautiful art. Um, just oh, the art like breaks will break your heart just by itself. It's so yeah. beautiful and it's so good. And I've never I I, I think it's the, it's definitely the best art I've seen for Harley ever. Yeah, I agree. Like I feel like it captures her character so well with just in a single frame. It's so good. I honestly love how he draws Ivy, too, and I'm really sad that we never got to have his Poison Ivy treatment he wanted to do the way he did for Harley. Oh, same. Because she has that, especially that one gorgeous splash page for her where he just they just really, really make her look so beautiful, and they really highlight all of the things that make her both awe-inspiring and terrifying. And Yep, it's, absolutely. But yeah, we can talk about anything. We can talk about Dragon Ball. Uh, my birthday's coming up, and I've been joking on Twitter about how we're going to have a tournament, and I don't mean a fighting game tournament. And everyone's like, ha-ha, and then I'm like, I'm not joking. We're so going to have a tournament. You're just going to invite a bunch of people and have them battle to the death? Well, I finally revealed to some close friends of mine what I meant was um, I have these scripts I did on a challenge forever ago to try to write Dragon Ball uh, from the very beginning all the way through the Cell Saga in just seven movies, one for every Dragon Ball. And I, I did that, and the first three movies are uh, the original Dragon Ball, and so the second movie is a tournament arc. And I was uh -huh. like joking. And so I was like, what we're going to do since so many of them are actors is like, we're all just going to jokingly read from the script and like act it out and be goofy and pretend we're fighting. So, <laughs> you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it just due to my situation, because I mean, I could like, we're in the same state, just different cities. But, but now that hey. you mentioned this idea, I'm like, I may need to just go down there. <laughs> if you can make it, I, I would love to have you and like top divs, whoever you wanna wanna be. Oh dang. <laughs> I'll probably end up being Kid Goku because I no doubt will be the teeniest and the tiniest. So. <laughs> well, I don't know Dragon Ball characters very well, so. <laughs> like, I, I know am... them. I know them negative amounts. <laughs> oh gosh you're like yeah cultural osmosis i've done the opposite i've like <laughs> expelled from myself and you know a dragon ball into the culture i think <laughs> just I, I i do i know i know less than nothing i i actively choose to know that that's a joke but i know i don't i i the, my big uh, nerd blind spot tends to be anime with the exception of the like four animes that i've seen and um, video games. One Again, could not fault you. One could not fault you. Anime these days is is a wild west of, gosh, I hope this is good and not 
terrible to behold. So I haven't even <laughs> caught up on the anime I like. Like I haven't. Yeah. I haven't caught up on my hero. I haven't caught up on uh, the Inuyasha sequel, which that was like something I was so hyped for when it was leading to release, but I haven't caught up with it. It is so I'm the weird. same. I'm the same. It's like I, I was hearing about it. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, I'm kind of into it. And then I just. I didn't even know it would come out at all. Well, also, I, much I, I the anime, the anime I do like, I purposefully don't engage even remotely with any part of the fan base for any of it because I am so not interested in falling down the rabbit hole that is the an- anime fan bases on the internet. It's a, like, the strange thing where, like, it feels like nowadays people have made media a such a crucial part of their identities that they mm-hmm. can't. They can't withstand any sort of discussion about it, even like a, a good faith criticism or anything, because it's like they feel it's a personal attack on them. And I just cannot yeah. understand that because I'll be the first person to sit here and be like, God, here are all the reasons Dragon Ball is just schlock and I love it. Call me Oscar the Grouch and feed me that trash. Like, I don't <laughs> understand when well, people get like, mad. <laughs> like, yeah, I see you like there's just so many attacks on like not even criticism. Like, I remember like if like someone does like a fucking art piece of a character and make them a different body type than what they are in the anime people lose it it's like oh no you can only have triple g cups and with a with like a, a 12 inch waist mm-hmm. god forbid you make you you make a character a female character plus size well i remember there was, that women um... don't exist in japan according to anime fans Apparently, remember, according to tweets, slang doesn't either. <laughs> I God, I saw that. I remember during um that period where several artists were uh, drawing characters reimagined if they were people of color, primarily black people, and there was all this cool stuff people did with ideas for designs, and like it was it was really neat. And I don't know why anyone would be intimidated by an artist doing their take, but some people were so mad. And I think my favorite one was somebody had drawn. Dick Grayson, if he was black, and people were yelling at this person that Dick Grayson is white, and they were so sick of this, and I just got to come in and be like, um, Dick Grayson's Roma, actually. Right. Have you read a comic? And, like, they just stopped talking, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> so angry about this character you claim you adore, and you don't even know that about him. But... And it's not even just... <laughs> fan art where people lose it it's even like with like reimaginings like i remember when the when that new she when the new she-ra first came out and the new designs were revealed people were like calling sacrilege on the whole thing i try to to understand where some of these people were coming from right because i always try to give the benefit of the doubt that sometimes some people not everyone is always articulate right like sometimes people just say things in an inelegant way and the internet loves to you know gotcha for anything so I always try to be like level-headed and like well let's see what they meant let's try to be charitable but everything they were saying I was just it, it just made no sense to me I was like you understand that the original Shira they barely moved yeah you can have these super detailed rotoscoped characters but they're barely moving and they're made just to sell the action figures so they're all the exact same body types so they can reuse the mold this show has diversity of how the characters look they have different and dynamic silhouettes and like yeah the the details are more simplistic but that means you can have more dynamic animation that rather means than the just characters can move that means yeah, that like can you can move. have action and here's the thing you're allowed 
you are very much allowed to not be a super huge fan of the character designs in in, in the new She-Ra. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually, I think that they're creative, but I'm not, I also was not in love with them. But like, they, everything about the animation on the new She-Ra is objectively better than the original show. And By that's not enough. even, that doesn't, you don't even have to perceive that as like a knock against the original, the people who worked on the original show. They were working within the budget and uh, network constraints and technology constraints that they had at the time. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Like, there's infinitely more resources for the creators of the new she run out. So, like, it, you don't have to take this as an insult. And yeah, people, no, it's people just do fun. in a way that's strange. And it's also, when you say criticisms like this of TV cartoons from the 80s, when you point out about how most of these shows were advertisements for toys, mm-hmm. the same sense that people, they get so upset in a way that I just don't understand. No one's saying you can't love it. And no one is saying that a lot of the writers on these shows put in effort anyway. Right, like wanted to make something good for the kids watching it anyway like yeah yeah. but that's this is just an objective fact that the reason these shows were made and greenlit was to sell toys right that's where i appreciate the transformers fandoms because they're they tend to be very very, (laughs) i was going to bring up transformers yeah i am am trash for transformers (laughs) (laughs) they're very self-aware jazzy who loves 2007 transformers movie I, I always say, like, it's fine to like things. Like, I, I don't... Right. I think there's a difference between is thinking that your your thing you love has to be perceived as perfect and not wanting any criticism versus just saying, like, I just like this thing, you know? Yeah. Right. It's And, yeah, like, le- I agree that 80s cartoons... Like, like I say, I have the criticism that all 80s cartoons are basically toy commercials, but I love a lot <laughs> of them. I mean, again, I will watch Gen 1 Transformers... Any fucking day of the week. Samurai Pizza Cat. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that was my jam when I was little. Like, I'll watch Transformers. I'll watch Gem. Uh, just... She was outrageous. That's true. Truly, Gem truly, was. truly. Oh, truly outrageous. But... I've only ever seen one episode of the original Gem. And I was at my cousin's house. And they had rented a VHS. This is how old I am, I guess. And, like... We put it on, and I don't know what the heck was going on in this episode, where, like, some girl's dad had, like, gone off to the war, and it was <laughs> super dramatic. I love that. song. Just yeah, to some war. war. The war. <laughs> it was super dramatic with some song that's like, your father's a man. And like, there was like glittery backgrounds with like this man in a soldier's uniform walking away and the girl like watching it when she was little. And it was super emotionally like taxing. And like, they would cut back to like, the band and the like weird plot that there's like these evil rock stars that they're fighting with the power of rock. And I'm like, even as a child, I'm sitting there like, I'm like, what? Like six and a half, seven and a half. And I'm sitting there like, this seems like a tonal shift. Like just completely juxtaposed. Have either of you seen the live action, I would put in quotation marks, Gem and the Holograms movie from a couple years back? I, I saw a few, like a few reviewers that I followed at the time watched it and I saw clips through that. I didn't see the full movie, but just from the clips I was seeing, it looked like shit. It was, first of all, it was not a Gem in the Holograms movie. 
Um, no. Not li- literally in, in, in zero capacity. <laughs> and I don't well, even. That is disappointing. I don't even know why they called it that. Like people like, okay, yeah, because everything has to be in the pre-existing IP. Jim and the Holograms is kind of niche in terms of like '80s cartoons. Right. It's... I don't know what like big bank they thought they were gonna make on that, and you it... weren't. It wasn't even an adaptation of the show. <laughs> I just find it weird that Blumhouse of all companies was the one producing that one. <laughs> It, I don't know. I don't understand any everything about it made absolutely no sense to me. It's so strange. But um Also Juliet regards- Lewis was in it. Why? What do you why are you here? I have no clue. But um in regards to cartoons and like, you know, different animation styles again, it's like like it's not only just for reboots and like or even fan drawings of reinterpretations of characters. Even when the character's a fucking original character made specifically for this new show, I see people bitch all the time. Like I remember I was seeing a tweet the other day where someone said something about like like I can't stress how much this character design pisses me off and it was um Luz Nosareda from Owl House. And I'm just sitting there like, "Why?" I love Luz from Owl House, like being a Latina, especially a mixed race Latina, I never got to see characters that felt like me because the Latina characters in the shows we grew up with were always either like the bitch or like the wrong girl, the popular girl that was mean. Like it was never ever anything that felt like me. And Luz is just like weird and quirky and, and excited. And I was like, that's me. That, that, I'm so happy young Latina girls have a character like that to be like, it me, because I, I never felt like there was a character like that for me. So, an unrela- a, a slightly related but unrelated story. So, um, I was looking at the comments of a thing I voiced in, like, that was released a week or two ago. It was a uh, Kids WB at Best Buy animation thing where I played the character Sock, who was like this joke character from Kids WB that was used for commercial bumpers. And Which I, I, I freaking loved when you sent me that clip. <laughs> but um, someone in the comment section said that Sock sounded like he was voiced by Hootie from Owl House. And I just had this moment like, oh my god, I did sound like Hootie. I don't think there's any greater compliment than sounding like Hootie from Owl House. No, no, I, I fucking love Hootie. So, but Everyone's it was like this, oh favorite. god. Everyone's favorite character is Hootie. It's funny because Alex Hirsch, like the voice he did for Hootie was supposed to be a placeholder, but they used it in the final thing. Because it was perfection. So like there's a bit in the episode that's equally funny because there's a bit where um King, who is also voiced by Hirsch, said like, here's Hootie. And he goes, oh God, that voice. <laughs> and I'd like to think that's Alex Hirsch going, why did they use this? Why did they use my most annoying take for this? <laughs> Gravity Falls is kind of an interesting story. Oh, um, oh my God. We're talking about Gravity Falls. We well, have especially knowing... Discussion of my favorite TV show. <laughs> and knowing that Alex Hirsch initially wanted at least one more season, but he was just so sick of Disney that he just was like, you know what, I, I can just wrap it up here. And that, that makes me sad because, like, the ending always felt rushed to me. And knowing that he did rush it. It's just, God, how an entire season worth of stories we missed out on because he just didn't want to deal with it anymore. 
Well, Alex Hirsch, especially this past month in June, watching Alex Hirsch, like, not not have it with Disney was uh, kind Beautiful. of great. Yeah. yeah. It was, was amazing. They Spikes. are notorious, notorious for not being creator-friendly. We're totally accepting of gay people, guys, unless you want to have a gay character in your series for us. Yeah. No, you can't do that. How dare you? Disney has cornered the market really neatly for evangelicals. So they really to lose that very lucrative market. And so they keep trying to play both sides. Well, exactly. Yeah, we're totally, totally care about. Disney wants to play both sides by uh, taking, putting rainbows on things in June and letting like gay day. Uh, continue to like fly as pass- passively endorsing that in their parks, um, but they won't like put it in any of their films. They'll yeah. let all those um, every couple months or every or maybe like once or twice a year. Uh, they'll have the, the they'll let those articles run about Disney's first openly gay character, of which I think we are on like <laughs> like the twentieth openly gay. I just want yeah. to play that meme from Jimmy Neutron where Miss Fowl with Miss Fowl and just go, "This is the seventh week in a row you've had your first openly gay character." <laughs> it's just they'll let that run, but they won't actually put an actually openly gay protagonist in their movies, and it's really, really frustrating. And it's Disney want like wanting its cake and eating it too. And there's only so much you get to expect from the biggest entertainment corporation in the world. Uh, but I would wish that having that kind of power and influence would put them in a position where they let themselves not care what the evangelicals think, because here's the thing. They're gonna like the evangelicals can bitch and moan all they want. They're not gonna no one's gonna stop going to Disney. No one's going to stop, actually, truly stop consuming anything from Disney. That is impossible to do in America. I think it's also that they have them cornered as far as, like, if they want to sit their kids down to watch something, Disney is that family-friendly brand that they can always trust isn't going to show their kids some weird thing they don't approve of. And so I I think they don't want to lose since they have that neatly cornered, like neither Cartoon Network nor Nickelodeon or anyone like that has that kind of reputation. So Disney is clinging to that. And it's the downside, of course, is that that means you can't, you know, admit that the gays exist in front of the kids, but at the same time run those articles because we also want the world to see that we're progressing, right? It's right. It's it's very cynical, uh, corporate corporate triangulation sort of thing, uh, just with uh, Rise of Skywalker where they had a lesbian kiss, you know, off to the corner where you could easily clip it out for China. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. It's it makes me happy to see those things, but it's you can when you're watching this these these movies in such a way that it's like this. I know that you can edit this out for Russia and China. It doesn't even make me happy. It does. It honestly doesn't even make me happy because I'm like, I'm at the point where I'm like, I'd, I'd rather you just cut the crap. Like, what's that meme that's like, just call me a slur. You know, like, I'd rather you just call me a slur. 
It's frustrating. Yeah, stop being cute and covert about it. Just call me a slur and move on. Like, just stop. Right. It's, 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 more, it's more frustrating with Star Wars, I find, because you had two characters people were zeroing in as gay from, from, from the day Force Awakens premiered. And actors were, yeah. were also, yeah. And yeah. Disney Similar. was so was so obsessed with making sure that they didn't come across as the gay that they injected two trivial fucking love interests for them that have no purpose in the movie other than being love interests. They did the and old jettisoning of- the already existing potential love interest for one of the male characters because misogyn- racist misogynists didn't like her. I, oh. I, I, I think it's funny that they went for the old trope of make a girl version, which is basically the guy, but with a bow slapped on her head. Like the, the love interest for Finn ended up being, I have your exact same backstory. Yeah. I was a, a stormtrooper, but when we shot on civilians, I, we all turned our back on it and had a change of heart. And you're like, okay. And, and I'm also and black. Yeah, I am also like, black, so it's okay for us to be loving. Yeah, so this. don't be mad, guys. Interracial nothing's going on. Don't panic. You're yeah. just making me imagine a version of Oscar Isaac with just a bow on his head, and I think that still would have been preferable to what we got for his My <laughs> favorite scene in that movie is the scene where Oscar Isaac, so, like, just exhausted-looking, says, somehow Palpatine's were. And people are like, how? He just, you you could see he's barely resisting looking at the camera and going, I don't fucking know. Like, he's this like, Oscar oh. Isaac is the best part of that movie because it is very clear he doesn't give a shit. He looks like he's two seconds from storming off the set at all times during that. Same with um, John Boyega, and I can't blame either of them. John Boyega, Ray, Ray. Ray, hold on. Uh, what's my line? Oh, right. Ray! <laughs> they, oh, can we not forget the epic reading of the line, they fly now? They fly now! They follow I think the only, the, the only two actors I think actually gave it their all in this dumpster fire of a movie is probably both um, Adam Driver and Ian McDermott. But Ian McDermott was just doing Ian McDermott shit, so... Oh, so they did their best. I think everyone... <laughs> They did their best. They were all doing their best. They all did their best. It's just I think those two were the ones that kind of pulled through for, and I enjoyed their performance unironic. Their performances unironically. But the you're right. It gave me the same energy as like J.K. Rowling getting really really upset about people shipping two male characters in her book, so she just made Dumbledore gay at the last minute off screen. I don't think it was that she, where did she, you hear that she was upset about people shipping? Oh, she did not like, um, so Sirius and Remus are an extremely popular ship um, uh, amongst Harry Potter fans. And J.K. Rowling did not like that. (laughs) Now, she never openly said it was because she didn't like that they were, that it was gay. But J.K. Rowling didn't like that ship, which is. This this was before she was okay with being openly a bitch. (laughs) Yeah. But she, she very much. She did not like the fan fiction about it. She did not like that people were shipping it. Um, she didn't like it. J.K. Rowling's one of those people that, like, I don't agree with her on, like, just about anything. And I didn't even agree with her when we took Harry Potter as a direction and all the fucking neoliberal apology of shit. But when I 
see why she says stuff. And a whole bunch of people want to think that she's like this evil, like crone or whatever. I think she's just scared. And I love, I'm not saying she's right. Because obviously hurting people is not okay, regardless of your reasons, right? But Mm -hmm. like, she was a victim of domestic violence, right? And having been a victim of domestic violence, I get how it breaks your brain. And my thing that bothers me is that when she wrote the things she wrote, that were wrong and ignorant that I wish she had been reached out to more level-headedly because of course she got a slew of rape and death threats and anger and sorts of very graphic violence. Which is extremely counterintuitive to disproving her concerns. I agree with that. Exactly. So when I think of the case of chronic boomer rich lady Joanne Rowling, who is wrong about all the things. <laughs> I don't think that's a person that necessarily couldn't have had her mind changed. But at this point, I think it's a lost cause because if someone's coming from a place of fear based on very visceral experience, and it was quite harrowing things her, her ex-husband did to her. Like it, it is horrific. So, like, coming from a place of trauma, influencing your your ability to be rational and, and, and you know, fair, and met with things that trigger that trauma and that fear again, those kinds of vicious, very sexual and hard threats of violence, that she's never changing her mind. And I, I feel like I have this duration, because I don't even want to yell at J.K. Rowling, like, I just want people to stop giving her attention about it. Same. Like, like when when she says something dumb, I don't even hear about it until I see that there's been a whole bunch of people talking about, look what she said now. And I'm like, literally, nobody cares at this point what she has to say. She has been thoroughly, thoroughly stripped of credibility. Humanitarian awards taken away from her. At this point, she is is a sad woman. I mean, yes, crying into piles of money. So how sad can you be? But like a sad woman who lost a whole ton of clout and credibility because of her own ignorance and who received an inordinate amount of abuse. We should just be left alone to to squander into irrelevancy because of that ignorance. And I, I don't understand because at some point I see even friends of mine are harming themselves more than anything by obsessing over this woman. And I'm like, just just let it go. Like, J.K. Rowling's not going to show up at your house and berate you, I promise. Like, just just let it go. <laughs> Please, just just focus on your life and you and on the people who love you. Just J.K. Rowling's not, a, not an elected official. She's not making legislation. Like, just let her go be wrong. You know? Like... I know that doesn't sound like the thing we do nowadays. Now it's all about yelling about people on social media. But, like, I really just, <laughs> I don't see it being for anyone. It's not going to change at this point. And it's it's more hurting the people who are letting her words have Because no one takes her seriously. No one's listening to her. The conservatives aren't listening to her, like, at all. And freaking obviously more liberal parties aren't listening to her. So like the only people amplifying her voice at this point are the community 
was to criticize her. And I'm like, just, I don't know. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. <laughs> I've seen, like, there have been people that have shown support to her for, like, what she said. Because, unfortunately, transphobia is very much alive and well in a very... <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, but that's such a that small award minority. that she won for her essay, though. Yeah, she won an award for the award award for that. ranting about. The small about. minority of, like, TERFs and, and gender-critical people, like, we always say they're a vocal minority. I don't think that they're a group. They don't have any real power, which is why they get desperate enough to try to ally themselves with conservatives. But the conservatives hate them because they, they don't like any sort of feminist, gender-critical or... or you know, transphobic or radfem or otherwise. So, like, they really don't have any political power. So if they want to go have their support you, JK Power Hour, like... Let the two shitty groups kill each other. Just let them be. Like, I, I really think to stop making her an issue, because at this point, she has no attention except when we elevate her, you know? <laughs> right. Like, everything that, that needed to be said about, hey, she's wrong, has been said. At this at some point, I think people are just frustrated and hurting, and they just want to take it out on someone. And I'm like, I get it. This community has been so and so battered and so oppressed. I get it. I get that pain, frustration. But, like, I think we need to channel our energy towards more productive avenues. Um. My friend Martin always, like, told me in terms of this situation, he just said, you know, at this point, Owl House is just my Harry Potter. I don't even fucking care. I agree. Owl House is better than Harry Potter. Let's be honest. Harry it Potter is. was it's, always... It's Harry weird. Potter with actual progressiveness. <laughs> as much yeah. As Harry Potter was always weirdly neoliberal. Like, always. <laughs> even back when everyone liked it. I don't know. It, it's I, like, oh, go ahead. Harry Potter is so important to me, was so very, very important to me for a really long time. Um, so the revelation of what a terrible person J.K. Rowling was being uh, was upsetting to me. Yeah, and it's, it's difficult. It, like, it was always difficult for me. Um, if there's a thing that kind of frustrates me, about the discourse around that specific, this specific conversation. Um, I, like, I had been sick for a really long time, like, and I had been long since developed a lot of interests that were not Harry Potter, but I had been sick for a long time of the read another book snark and the, the way people want, get really angry and dismissive over statements like Harry Potter was really important to me. They're like, there's thousands of other books and it was never that good. And this, that, and the other thing, like, okay, I don't, no, like you can yell at me about that all you like. Mad, like <laughs> it was important to me, and Harry Potter was one of the people will scream and yell like, "Oh, get over it!" It's like Harry Potter was one of one of, if not the most single most important and influential pop culture entity of the century of the 21st century so far. So, and like, I, I don't, I I don't know how you what. <laughs> I'm glad you never cared about it, but like, you're not. <laughs> You aren't going to undo that influence on people, on, on the culture, on media, on YA fiction. Like, you just aren't. And we can't, we can't just pretend it doesn't exist. Like, it's too, it, ha it had too much of an effect on the culture for that. So you, right, and I agree. I agree. Like, um, 
I'm in the same position. Harry Potter was a big, like, like a big thing for me as a kid. It helped. It was a gateway into my interest in fantasy literature. So, and as much as I don't like Rowling, as wish I, as wish, as much as I wish I could just purge that, that the part of my life where I was obsessed with the series, it's still there. It's still an important part to me. And I unfortunately just can't wish it away, you know? See, I, I think people are way too harsh on fans because it's like anybody, anybody is going to have some things they're wrong about, right? That's an unfortunate reality. And while I'm not saying that we should like sign off on those problematic parts of authors or people or anyone, the idea that someone's entire body of work is now some forbidden text we're not allowed to enjoy anymore is really ridiculous. Like, why should you be punished because J.K. Rowling said something dumb, right? Or even discuss. I This happened a couple, just a couple weeks ago. I made a tweet that was like, you know what would be a great, would be the best thing that could happen to the Harry Potter property right now is if, like, we just kind of pried it out of J.K. Rowling's hands. And I just kind of listed fun headcanons I had heard from honestly, predominantly trans and other queer Harry Potter fans, like Tonks is uh, trans or gender, gender fluid and making, again, the Remus and Sirius relationship canon and just getting into like all these fun queer headcanons people have about the story. And people got so mad at me. And I was like, I was just like, what am I doing? Like, I'm not giving JK Rowling money by ruminating about queer headcanons on Twitter. Right. It's a comment. It's very strange. I honestly don't understand it. It I, I hate to say this, but it starts to feel like people are so desperate for belonging that they've kind of made their own little echo chamber where they don't really want to think critically about like why are we upset about this? They just know we're supposed to be and they're they're living in that outrage. And it's like I've seen people literally yell at people who are like I'm disabled and Harry Potter is something that I I've always gone back to since childhood and I was sick or couldn't, or I wasn't as mobile and people being like, Oh, so your comfort's more important than trans people. And it's like, no, but like, how is them reading old books they've had since childhood for comfort hurting trans people? Well, it's this narrative of like, okay, if I like, I'm going to keep reading these books I already own or not. Like, I don't know what you think that. (laughs) Also, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Everything you do is going to help some piece of crap anyway. You're telling me a person's not even allowed to enjoy a book series now? Like, or stop like, it. Or like, stop it. Or like the movies, because while Rowling obviously had a big part in the source material that those movies are based on, the movies were a giant collaborative effort of multiple people, most mm-hmm. of which probably weren't assholes. Yeah. Well, so, so you, you've heard the, too? the vast majority of the main cast of the movie, too, who have come out in direct support of trans people. Yeah, like, especially the main three, Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert yeah. Grint, and Emma Watson, all, like... Have publicly all denounced J.K. Rowling's statements and expressed support for the trans right. community, like, all of it. It's so, why I say the hatred towards J.K. Rowling and everything she does has gotten to a point that I think is ridiculous and non-productive. I really think... At this point, like, we get it. She's been debunked. People aren't supporting her anymore. Just leave her alone. Like, let's just forget about her. She's only as relevant as we keep her at this point. If people want to enjoy books, she already made her money. It's not going to make a difference at this point. Let people have what little comfort they can find in this world. Like, come on. (laughs) 
Right. It's like we we live in the shitty year that is 2021. If people want to go back and read Harry Potter as escapism, go right go right fucking ahead. I don't care. Or like I personally personally on my level, I don't think I can go back and read the books just because of everything that happened. But that's me. I don't. And that's I don't fair, push that, right? I don't like, push exactly. that on anyone, you know. <laughs> yeah. If you personally find that you can't return to them, that's totally fair to excise them from your life. And if somebody else still feels that connection to them and isn't ready to let them go then that should be fine too. I, I don't understand this like sort of race okay. for ideological purity because no one's ever going to be perfect. So like. <laughs> this is a, a thing. If I, if I can go on my, my own little take on this for a minute, because something I've been saying for a long time in regards to like, when you, this specific discussion, and I don't want to compare JK Rowling to like Harvey Weinstein in saying this, but is this thing I was thinking about during like the height of me too and stuff, other such things. When you you find out that the creator of a piece of art that is important to you is a bad person, that is a really difficult thing to deal with. And you need to have a conversation with yourself about how you personally want to handle it. Now, the idea behind why you shouldn't continue to financially support Harry Potter products or others or for for example, is because um, if you were, or or to give a, a more extreme example, like why you shouldn't continue to purchase uh, Marilyn Manson's music, uh, is because you're continuing to put someone who has been proven and is known to be a dangerous and abusive person, uh, can you're continuing to put them in a position of power where they can hurt more people. And so that is where, to me, the moral argument of should you or should you not continue to support this person comes into play. But for your own personal, like, emotional well-being, like, it's up to you as an individual whether or not you can still stomach watching movies produced by Harvey Weinstein or listening to music by Michael Jackson. Those people are not going out or out of any reasonable positions of power. Those people are not going to hurt anybody anymore. Uh, and they are not financially uh, gaining anything from consuming their art. So that's a personal con- decision you need to make for your own comfort and whether or not you can emotionally deal with the fact that these were bad people. Um, and there's a tendency, like you said, for this ideolog- ideological purity that you have to have where like you ha- have to vet every single thing that you ever, ever watch and consume. Uh, to make sure that the person who made it was a perfect person. And that's just not a reality. Yeah, it's and not possible. I, I think the worst thing you can do when this information is first uh, made public, is first relevant being revealed, like, again, to use Marilyn Manson as an example again, just because the situation with him and Evan Rachel Wood is relatively recent, to the public at least. Um, like, I saw a lot of people... You know, they want to default to Marilyn Manson makes shitty music anyway. That's not helpful. And that's not productive to anybody. Yeah. Because, first of all, it's not relevant. His music could be great. His music could be shitty. That doesn't matter to whether or not it was okay for him to be a domestic abuser to his ex-wife. Like, that doesn't make a difference. Um, and on, on top of that, like, you know, do you think that that like saying his music is shitty? You think that convinces saying Harry Potter sucks, saying like all this list of things. You think that convinces the people who cared about it to like. Like, it's a grieving process of something that meant a lot to you. 
Like, I, you are not making me want to, like, I spent, it was a, a hard time for me to accept the fact that J.K. Rowling was not a great person. So, and you know, you know what I would say to you about this whole thing? Yeah. You shouldn't have to grieve. <laughs> and this is, this is me speaking from my, my socialist, commie, not letting capitalism's ideas of who art belongs to. When art reaches a point, that it belongs to the culture, not to the person who made it. I fully believe this. And with our, the way our copyright law has obfuscated this fact has left us with this culture where we act like creators are their art. But this simply is not true. And while creators should be fairly um, given, you know, compensation for the art that they contribute, there reaches a point when the art belongs to the people, to the collective culture, not to one person or worse, to a corporation that has bought the rights to it. Right. In the case of Disney, who is on their never ending quest to own all fucking IPs. Right. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. I don't think you should have ever been made to feel like you even had to grieve because J.K. Rowling should have fuck all to do with it after a while. Yes, we can. you could have thanked her when she made these things and you admired the fact that she did this. But the things you loved about Harry Potter had nothing to do with her. You, she wasn't coming over every day and, and having tea with you when you were reading. She wasn't the one that was going to conventions or writing fanfic with you or cosplaying with you or drawing art with you or whatever is the particular expression you did for your love of this fandom. She wasn't the one you told about your weird Harry Potter dream you had when you were a kid or who you cried to when your Hogwarts letter never arrived. No, your experience of enjoying that piece of media is linked to you and your loved ones you shared it with, be they online or in person or whatever. Nothing to do with her. If she had dropped dead after releasing the last book, it would have made zero difference. You'd have been sad for a little while and it would have made zero difference because you did not need her to enjoy those books or those movies or the fanfic or anything else that you consumed. And I think this is part of our problem. We have let capitalism trick us into thinking that our culture can be owned by an individual. It is not. You have a right to your experiences. You have a right to the collective culture. J.K. Rowling does not own it. And when people come after you, and cast judgment on you for enjoying a piece of the culture because the person who wrote the books, not even all of it, how much of your enjoyment of it was shit she didn't even do? Fan fiction, conventions, cosplay. She didn't do that shit. How much of it? Like, I'm sure you've message boards you may have gone to, friends you may have made, right? So like, what right do we have to look at you or any other fan and say you're not allowed to those experiences you are not allowed to those memories you are not allowed to those friends you are not allowed to to the works of art you may have made you are not allowed to any of that because one person fucked up that is a completely completely capitalist idea because it is saying that jk rowling owns all of those memories, all of that fanfic, all of those friendships, because she is the one that owns the IP. And I wholesale reject that, wholesale reject it. I say, absolutely not. I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy the media I'm going to enjoy. And if a person does something wrong that created it, this person should be called out. 
if what they did was criminal, this person ideally should suffer the consequences of the law. This person should be taken out of positions of power so they can no longer harm anyone. But what they contributed to culture, the idea of erasing it, then you would erase every bit of culture ever. Pablo Picasso uh, abused several of the women he had dated. Several of them killed themselves because of dealing with him. Do we pull his art out of museums? Absolutely not. He was a dreadful, horrible abuser, but the art he created has merit on its own, regardless of what a shit stain he was. Van Gogh was very mentally ill, cut off his own ears. Should we remove all of his paintings because he's a bad role model? Absolutely not. The art he made has merit, regardless of the mental health struggles that man suffered. It, it is absolutely absurd that we have fully bought into this capitalist idea that art is, is owned by a, pers a single person, that culture is owned by a single corporation. And I say to you, you should enjoy the stuff that you enjoy from your childhood without a single scrap of, of guilt or a single scrap of pain because the things that J.K. Rowling does have nothing to do with what you have done. And you are not a co-conspirator because you enjoyed a children's book about magic. And it is absurd that we have developed this culture of thinking that. And I'm saying this as someone that doesn't even like Harry Potter. I because I always that was, was such like... a that was such a passionate, well well said um tangent, and I just like that you ended it with. By the way, I fucking hate it. I'm just... <laughs> I do. Look at how they treated. I'm I'm part I'm part Asian, so like look at how they treated Cho Chang. I was like, she didn't even do anything. It was her friend who did the. You know what? Whatever. Fucking fuck you, Harry. And I threw the book over the fucking desk. <laughs> I was like, whatever, Miss Rowling. I'm done. And then Lucia the threw all the Harry Potter books in a fire. <laughs> I was like, where's all the Latinos, J.K. Rowling? And my friend's like, we're in public school, Lucia. This is a private school. I'm like, of course they are. <laughs> of course we are. <laughs> they all have to share a wand. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. Like, it's also fundamentally just so much more productive to have critical conversations about this piece of art that was as influential on the culture as it was like this, like that, than to throw it away and pretend it, does, it never mattered. Yeah. Like, absolutely. no, no, critiquing the latent racism and, <laughs> and other problems in the book is a far more productive use of our time than pretending it's not a thing. And right. you can still enjoy it while being critical and aware of these flaws. Like, I can talk about the sexism in Dragon Ball all day long, but you put on Dragon Soul, I'm singing louder than anyone else at the karaoke bar. Like, <laughs> and I agree. Like, I mean, I've had people in, I remember during my college years, I had people giving me shit because I mentioned that I like Tarantino films and I, Tarantino's kind of an ass from what I can take. And it's like, I enjoy his films, though. <laughs> I love so many of his films. I think as a filmmaker, he's absolutely phenomenal. As a human being, he stinks. <laughs> like, yeah, he's, he's a shithead. I like, and, I will, and I will say that while also, and I say that proudly, but I also say this as someone who claims Kill Bill to be one of her favorite movies. So, so what the fuck are you going to do? <laughs> ah, Quentin Tarantino. God damn it. Stop talking, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> like, damn it, Quentin. I want to enjoy your movies, but you, you keep talking. Stop talking. Just make good movies and then be quiet. Because 
I've had enough. I've had enough of Quentin Tarantino talking. I have this awful problem where I am a female film student, so I are uh, graduated now, but I was I was a female female film student. So I, who loves Quentin Tarantino. So I always just kind of had to sit there. Like, I don't like the way men talk about Tarantino movies. But also, <laughs> I can't Me sit either. here and say that I hate Quentin Tarantino because I love Quentin Tarantino. I think he makes great films. I just don't but think, he, I don't think a lot of Tarantino's biggest fans know why his movies are. <laughs> as I, I agree with are. that. And I say that as someone who fucking adores Tarantino's films. Like a lot of, when I... When I, like I when I did have discussions in college with the one odd person who did like Tarantino movies, the guy was a dumbass. <laughs> so I was kind I, of in. This. I am perfectly comfortable in saying that I love Quentin Tarantino films and I hate Quentin Tarantino and I feel yes. no dissonance whatsoever. <laughs> that is a real yeah. That's that completely I, I accurate. Films. I was. I happily went to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the day it came out because I was hyped as fuck for that film. It's like if there was an animal that, like, just was rabid all the time and would destroy the environment and tear everything up and, and would eat everything in sight, but it would shit out the most beautiful Fabergé eggs. So I'm like, I love these fucking... <laughs> they are fucking lit. They are gorgeous art. I fucking hate that little creature uh, that makes them, though. Like, what I, I rarely shit? say an analogy is perfect, but that was fucking perfect. <laughs> That's Quentin Tarantino. I'm like, God. <laughs> you invasive little prick. I love the shit you keep shitting now. I also am in this <laughs> position where my absolute favorite Tarantino movie is Death Proof. I think that's his best movie. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think that's a respectable opinion. Uh, well, because Tarantino... That movie's great. <laughs> that, well, because here's the thing. It's, it's, it's probably, objectively, like, his least known movie. That, that is, just makes you legit and underground. Um, that makes you cool. <laughs> that makes me cooler than everybody else. But also, I know... put on a scarf and glasses and, like, sip coffee while you say it, and then people will be like, ah, yeah. <laughs> and also, Tarantino doesn't hate it. He thinks it's his worst movie. And I'm just like, you're wrong. You're all like, of your wait. opinions about yourself are wrong, Quentin. All your opinions about everything are wrong, Tarantino. Therefore, it is your best movie. Well, it's like, best I always try to get this odd look by certain people when like people ask, oh, you like Tarantino films? What's your favorite? And I always go, Kill Bill. And they're like, really? Not Pulp Fiction or like the artsy ones, I guess? What's wrong with Kill Bill? The Kill only, Bill's okay, a great answer. There's like, only Kill one Bill's thing wrong amazing. with it. It's amazing. It is a fun movie where Uma Thurman goes around and fucking kills people. I love it. Kill Bill's incredible. There's only one thing wrong with Kill Bill. There's only one thing wrong, and I will I will argue this point. And the only I, thing curious, wrong with actually, Kill Bill what? is at the end, the whole monologue about Superman makes me think that Quentin Tarantino has never read a single Superman comic because it is completely wrong. But other than that, which one could argue the character is just wrong, right? And hasn't yeah, read a Superman. I, I, I was about to say that's more the perspective of the character. You can say the character's wrong, but it doesn't change the fact that that's the character's viewpoint. And well, what... it's Quentin. It, Tarantino didn't mean it to be wrong because he um he gave a very similar rant like that apparently at a party. People have said this that that rant came like directly from him. But like um he thinks he's making a point there. And anyone who's like a fan of DC Comics is well, like, have you read it? Superman if you're making Tony? a point, why did you have your villain say it? Because <laughs> he's wrong it about everything. Because Bill's oh. an asshole. <laughs> because Tarantino, <laughs> he keeps accidentally making these great statements in his art <laughs> that he 
didn't intend to make. It's the, it's the same thing with Death Proof. Death Proof is this like fascinating, <laughs> this really this, this weird, this very weirdly feminist film from Quentin Tarantino, and but it's feminine like entirely by accident. <laughs> I will admit, I do like the fact, as as much of an asshole as Tarantino is, I like the fact that when Kill Bill was being released, um, he said that kids should totally see it because it's a it's a movie with a badass female character and you don't get that a lot. I will admit that is a good point he made. I I really really love Django Unchained. Django Unchained was outstanding. I love I that. I love that. Reservoir Dogs is another one I really love. Reservoir Dogs. I used a scene for that for like one of my finals in acting school. So. I could see that you have the emotional intensity for it. Yeah, yeah, like I did. Um, it was the bit where Steve Buscemi was yelling at um Harvey Keitel's character, and like you know he's like you know oh everything went fucking wrong. I'm panicking. Oh, like, <laughs> I I could definitely see you really na- knocking that out of the park. Well, thank you. Yeah, I did that, and I did a scene um from Scott Pilgrim. So <laughs> those well, are. Well, you guys haven't heard Jazzy. She played young Harvey Dent for Batman Athenaeum. And she's also played James Gordon Jr., uh, who is the son of Commissioner Gordon, and in this continuity becomes Anarchy. And so, I have fun with both roles, so. Yes, both characters that require a certain level of emotional depth and intensity that Jazzy brought to the table. And oh, well, thank you. You were you were incredible. It's it's in it's fun. Those roles are fun because I feel like that's where a lot of my those roles are, I feel, are where a lot of my stage um, experience comes into play, and I love it. So. It's it's always a delight to hear you act. Absolutely, I, I'm always so happy to get to hear you. I, I want to go on a mini rant now that I mentioned the fact that I've employed stage acting into voice acting. I remember like a couple weeks ago there was like this um discourse going around, like whether or not you need stage training to be in voiceover. And my opinion is, no. You don't. You can get like you can get into one without knowing the other. <laughs> but like I remember seeing a lot of posts like in response to this saying that stage acting is a detriment to voiceover acting, which is the dumbest fucking thing I've heard in my life. How could it be a detriment? I don't know. Like I'm not going to name names because I don't want to send hate mobs. But I do remember there were a couple like there were a couple voice actors, I think decently well-known, that basically retweeted the original tweet, like, talking about the fact that you don't need stage acting to be in voice acting, and, they, and like, one or two of them said, like, oh, no, you don't need stage acting. In fact, being a stage actor is a detriment to your abilities as a voice actor, and it's like, I'm sitting here thinking, no, it's fucking not. Like, It's not necessary, but it's not a detriment. On the no, opposite, like, I've, I've always heard directors compliment me on on my ability to do certain more grounded or layer performances than they usually get from people who primarily do anime and I, I credit that to my stage acting yeah like a couple months ago I took a um voiceover workshop with uh Aaron Fitzgerald an actress who's well known for stuff like Ed and Nettie the Persona series and other shit so and um the first thing she asked me is do I have stage experience and I said yes I do and she taught me a lot about voice acting through what I knew of stage acting. So I would not call it a detriment just from that experience alone. Yeah. Because it w- it actually ter- served to be advantageous to me. That's crazy to me that somebody would say that. That's 
Yeah, I wanted to comment, but at the same time, it's like, eh, these are decently named voice actors. I don't want to kill my career all or I don't want to kill any reputation I've been to getting. How could, how could any type of, of acting experience be a detriment rather than just another tool in your belt? I mean, I can see, I can imagine how if you were to get really, really pretentious about a specific type of acting, that could be a detriment. So if you're refusing to adapt your acting style from one thing to another. But that's true even if you have zero but that's true. experience. Yeah, that's true regardless of, like, if you're going from, any, from, from, from screen acting to voice acting. That's true if you're going from voice acting to stage acting. Like, that's true regardless. So to make it specifically, like, it's a detriment to learn how to act on it. No, it's not. It's no. just, you just have to know how, what skills to use where. Yeah. One of, like, the two things that I have been complimented by directors, including D Lucia on, is my energy and the fact that I can yell really loud. I have been told many times I'm good at yelling for, for roles. You are. Also, and, your comic timing. That's, that's yeah. one of the things I love A most. A lot of these aspects come from my stage experience. <laughs> Yeah, too, it's bizarre to me that anyone would claim that. I can't think how stage acting could ever be detrimental. Like, yes, you should still learn that this is a different style of acting, but you would have to learn that even if you were starting from scratch. So Yeah, like, and I did <laughs> learn, and I did learn that. I've taken classes in both stage acting, I've taken it in voiceover acting, and I've taken it in film acting. I understand there are differences, but I also know how to incorporate stuff I learned from one from one class to another because I like having fun with this. Yeah. And incorporating a lot of this shit is very fun. So like it's just crazy to me what people and, will And I've never had a director tell me I've done a bad job or to say lay off the state. No one has told me lay off the stage acting. Uh, <laughs> the some... bad job you've done is James Dean style bad. Like, where you're cool. <laughs> right, it's like... Hot take, James Dean was not a good actor. <laughs> he was a bad actor. <laughs> dun, dun, dun! <laughs> but yeah, he, like, he was just eye candy. <laughs> James Dean was one of those people who was famous in a very specific way. And it was not for being a good actor. <laughs> it, it was for the attitude, it was for the brand. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like, yeah, my ba my biggest point of acting experience, like at this point, is the stage. Where it's like I'm not an incompetent voice actor. Come on. <laughs> just because I was on the stage. That's just strange. Well, rest assured, I, I have always found you to be a delight to work with. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm sure surprising no one who's ever worked with you. No, most people work. Most people work with me. Say I do a good job. So like I like I like it. So I haven't had complaints so far. So I I don't know. I think my I think I did well in my education. <laughs> I have one complaint, and that is that we don't have enough writing for you to voice yet. Um, someone should tell a writer to get on that and stop doing podcasts. Maybe get back to writing. <laughs> Yeah, tell and also tell the actor, tell the person who voices James Gordon Jr. to stop inviting the writer to podcasts. I, I aspire 
to someday make a piece of media that is good enough that when I make some dumbass mistake, someone will actually have an existential crisis over whether to continue enjoying my content. That is, that is the dream. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> I swear, every time you make a tweet, someone misinterprets what you're fucking saying. So. You know, oh that my never God. Used to and I think I've hit enough of a threshold of people noticing that people are, are starting to do that. It happens to anyone, right? Where like they want to purposely twist what you're saying in an uncharitable way. And I've gotten to the point of just like, okay, like Jazzy, everyone can see you're doing it. Do you like, remember the time that I said, sometimes working class people like to play golf and I got called racist? Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> do you remember? Oh my God. I, just, this is I, I don't talk about real world issues that much because I feel like someone would misinterpret and try to fucking cancel me. I said because I and I here's the thing I caught the fact I live in a relatively wealthy area where there are a lot of golf courses mm-hmm. but I the narrative I see around golf all the time of just like a thing that only rich people do which I mean I guess I guess is a pretty wealthy person sport but I guess to all I said was that like every waiter I know plays golf every single waiter and bartender I know loves to play golf and I know a lot of them so it's to me it's very like I find this narrative strange like it's not your hobby so you're gonna sit here and make us come in and play it and that was all I said and then everyone was like golf is a sport that's only played by rich white racists and I was like what yeah it's exactly that like that ignorance and lack of nuance one can point out the racist and and anti-semitic and sexist history of golf because there is a very problematic history there. One can talk about the fact that golf requires a lot of land and water usage that might be better served in other ways, whatever. But to to, to that giant leap of logic, to extrapolate from sometimes middle-class people or working-class people like golf, because it's a sport, people are going to like it, to you're a racist is just exactly the sort of uncharitable twisting of your words that I'm talking about. And I think it's because like after a while, it's like outrage becomes a form of, of social currency. And so like people are looking for clout. Like they took someone down who was bad. Like, Like I did a tweet defending you on one that one, one you did recently about like the fact that Biden sucks, which he does, but yeah, that was so weird to me. But I realized um, those were bots. <laughs> it was. No, it I got was... like no one voice actor who follows me like mentioned the fact like I guess they th- they thought by you saying like oh we told you all this would happen the fact that you were just blaming everyone and it was like that's not what she was doing though it's literally not what i'm doing like i i'm just talking about every everyone who shitty shit president that's all she was saying it's but he is yeah it's like i i think it's really weird because I'll, I'll criticize Trump all day long and he deserves it because he is the scum of the earth. Mm-hmm. And I get all these like points from people. And then I turn around and I criticize Biden because you should be critical of people in power. And I yeah. get all these like beliefs ascribed to me that aren't true. Like, oh, so you wanted Trump to win? I'm like, no. Like, have you ever seen my page? Like, absolutely not. I think Trump was way worse than Biden ever would have been. 
And then I'll get, well, you must, because you're criticizing him. I'm like, he, I don't know if you know, he already won the election. Like, it's a very um, <laughs> right-wing mindset. And then I don't, and I don't think a lot of liberals totally realize that. This idea that you cannot criticize um, your leader uh, is, is a very right-wing mindset. It's a very, I like... I don't like it at all. Yeah, it's super authoritarian. It's, it's a yeah, thing a lot of conservatives... Like, there was a TikTok going around from a Trump supporter a while back that, that basically said, you don't support Biden, you just didn't want Trump to be president. And all of the leftists being like, correct! Yeah, that is exactly. That true. None of us were trying to swear fealty to Biden the way you, the the Trump cult what was doing to right. to their leader. We just Trump was dangerous and we wanted him out of office. Here's and the and for the record, I still think Biden is dangerous. He is just less dangerous. Less than dangerous. Trump. You're if you're <laughs> picking the lesser of two evils, you're still picking an evil. An evil. And it's very strange to me because it's it's like you can't win for losing because like if you don't if you're like, oh, I'm too ideologically pure, I won't vote for Biden. Then it's like, well, what are you doing? You're shooting yourself in the foot. Right. But then if you do the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you hold your nose and you vote for Biden, then it's like, well, like, why are you criticizing them? I bet you wanted Trump to win. And you're just kind of there like. No, the opposite. I did not want Trump to win. That's why I put up with voting for Biden, right? Right. It's like, and another thing is like, we grow up in American education learning every fucking time there's an election. And I don't know if I can say if this is the same for you guys, but I remember this. Like, growing up, I remember hearing the same fucking thing. When you're old enough to vote, you got to do it. Because if you don't vote, you don't complain. Well, I voted. We voted. We are complaining. We get to complain. We're still getting shit for complaining. Well, yeah, I remember they get I remember they said you can't complain or criticize Biden before the election because we need him to win. Stop it. Stop it. You can't wait until after the election. We need him to win. Okay, he won the election. So now I'm going to be critical of the person in power. What are you doing? You're hurting Biden. And I'm like, at what point do I get to be critical of the person in power? Because if I'm not allowed no, to be critical he's in the of office. My... He's going to be there till he's going to be there for four years. Yeah. Like, when are we allowed to be critical of our leaders? I really hate this attitude of, like, you're not allowed to criticize the people in power. It's authoritarian, and I don't like it at all. Yeah, I I, ha- I downright hate it, and I, like... Yeah. And, yeah, I just... I just... It's just fucking ridiculous. I swear, every time you quote something that's, like, quote-unquote, unco- like, co- like uh, controversial, Lucia Lobos Villa, mistress of controversial opinions. Yeah, my super controversial opinion of, hey, you know, Biden's not so great, you guys. <laughs> it's like, wow, hot take of the fucking year, right? Oh, God, I don't know. I, and no matter I, what. Just but. <sighs> And what confuses me is I at least understand why Hillary Clinton has the certain, like, cult of devotion that she does uh, for everything that's terrible about her. And there are many, many things that are terrible about her. I can at least empathize with the the the, the idea of just, like, there was something that would have just felt so good about a woman being president and that being a heartbreak to some really young women in 2016. And that just being a lingering feeling, I have empathy for that. What is it about Biden that inspires any of this? I don't understand. Oh fucking no! <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's so, it's so dumb. It is so fucking dumb. 
Oh my god. <laughs> Getting into a little bit of Batman with that that growl there. Yeah. You know, I thought yeah. this podcast was going to be a, a lot more Batman and less uh, hey, <laughs> and less growling about... and less politics. But hey, I had fun regardless, so I don't fucking care. If we want to talk about Batman before we we go, so that we don't leave it on a on a negative note, I yeah. do think that something that's been really fun has been the opportunity to go through decades of this canon. So many different writers from so many different backgrounds with so many different takes on the characters and just find so many different voices that I think a lot of people don't even get to know about because usually people mostly see these characters when they're adapted into a cartoon or a movie and usually it's only the most prominent ones that we we get to see adapted um, so most of us have been seeing the same story readapted over and over, essentially, for, for decades. And how freaking cool to get to go through and just see all the different things people have had to say through the medium of comics, all of the different perspectives, even on questions like that are so central to the character, right? Like, should one person alone ever get to make these decisions? On the other hand, if we can't, as individuals, make these decisions, who should? Our government? Our police? What is justice? What is fairness? Where is the line between that and and vengeance? But at the same time, can we just be so paralyzed by these questions that we do nothing? Because, you know, the people that want to do harm won't be. They're not going to sit there stuck in, in some existential philosophical dread and do nothing. So at what point do good people need to take the risk to take it upon themselves to take action um and these questions repeat themselves again and again throughout the canon and i think that that has been fascinating because many different writers have completely different answers to these questions batman is i think one of the most interesting i think objectively one of the most interesting and storied characters in American pop culture, right? Oh, like, yeah. Like, he, and it's fascinating, he holds such a fascinating and specific place in pop culture. And if you if you let me get going on my feelings about Batman, I could talk for a long time. Um, like, the short version is that I think that what makes Batman really, really interesting is he's this excellent convergence of different genres. Uh, he's a noir detective who's a ninja and a super, and that may, and that's how, how, through that is how he is a superhero. And I think that that's super interesting. I think it's a shame that none of the live action movies have capitalized on, on the, that convergence the way that one could, but. But, you know, they just want to show the cool toys and sell action figures, so. <laughs> I hate, I'm so sick of, Bat- I, I think I've ranted about this on this podcast before, but I'm so sick of Batman driving a tank. Me too. It was my least favorite part of Arkham Knight. Oh my gosh, that freaking bat tank. Like, uh, ugh. Arkham Knight. We're like Arkham Shite, am I right? Oh god. I fucking it was an Arkham Blight on my life because tank battles. Tank battles. But I I, funny. I agree with you. The experience of playing that game was one of the funniest fucking things ever because my friend Martin and I got it same day. We were playing it and we thought, okay. We're going to play this, like, at our own time and just talk about it as we go. And, like, there came a point while we were playing it where, like, a lot t- the tank missions were starting to become more frequent. And Martin was like, 
Jazzy, is it just me or is this game actually kind of bad? And I'm like, what? No. Yeah, it's. Uh, but so, uh, most positive I was on that game because it was all downhill from there. But I will uh, say that I still am glad that the Arkham games were made at all. And so I will be grateful for that. And I'm just I'm grateful that this character persists because there's something that speaks to us about somebody who was hurt, who is haunted by this trauma in a way they can't let go and has been let down by institutions and has decided not that they want to get vengeance because Batman doesn't go after the guy that killed his parents who decides that he wants to make sure no one else ever has to go through it again if he can help it. And, can I express yeah. something about that specifically? Yeah. I am... <laughs> there's nothing I hate more than versions of Batman where they have him do that. Go after go after the guy who killed his parents. It's because very self-serving, yeah. I think that it is fundamentally contradictory to the entire purpose of the character. And I also, I know Joe Chill exists in a lot of the canon. I also am personally a much bigger fan of the person not knowing who killed his parents. I think keeping that a mystery is pivotal to that, at least to me. I always feel that if Batman ever should discover who killed his parents, it should come later. And by the time he finds out, it shouldn't matter anymore, right? Like, obviously, it still hurts. And it's not something that's just going to disappear there's this one storyline I have where he's with Jason as Robin of all things, which very few of those stories are still in print. Um, but he he goes after this guy who's like the son of Joe Chill because he's doing criminal things. And it's just welling up inside of Bruce to want to kill this man and take from Joe Chill what's been taken from him. And he doesn't, um, especially when he sees that this man has a son. Mm. And he's just like, the sins that started with his parents and mine need to just stop. It just, it needs to end or we're gonna be in an endless cycle of violence. So he just has the guy get arrested for crimes. <laughs> and yeah. that's it. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with the idea that, yeah, it's it's always super annoying when, like, you have Batman confronting whoever killed his parents. Like, as much as I love the original Tim Burton movie, I hate the fact that they made it that the Joker was the one who did it. <laughs> it is more a more contrived um, answer to that question, absolutely. And, of course, Michael Keaton... I have mixed feelings about because on the one hand, he does such a fantastic Batman making him like, you know, kind of this tortured weirdo. He's charismatic, but he's also kind of a weirdo, right? And not Mm. just perfect American psycho Christian Bale. Like he would be a poorly socialized weirdo, right? But the fact that he kills people is always one of the points against him where I'm like, come on. Batman shouldn't kill people. I am very on that train. I agree. Uh, it's it's why that's one of the major reasons why Batman v Superman fucking annoys me. Yeah, I never thought. You know, I would on a list of a hundred, I think, if I'm being nice. <laughs> I never thought I would agree with Zack Snyder about anything, ever. Mm-hmm. And then 2021 
when he was, you know, coming out in favor <laughs> of Batman pleasuring his lady. I was like, well, you know, it's a crazy year, Zack Snyder. We find yourselves on the same side of this war. Heartbreaking, the worst person you know just made an excellent point. Well, yeah, it's like, like the opposite. It's, 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 a, it's like, like, you know what? A broken clock is right twice a day. And you know what, Snyder? He's like the opposite of Quentin Tarantino to me in that, like, oh, yeah, I don't like his movies, but as a person, he seems like someone I'd like. He's like such a cool guy. Yeah. Like, like, I like the fact also that he spoke in, that he spoke in defense of um, Asian Americans, like, during the day of the premiere of his um, Justice League movie. I thought that was, like, a big, that was a big thing for him because, like, his... Fan, I think he's aware that he has this very shitty incel fan base. So. I think if he's only him and Quentin, aware of it recently. <laughs> if only him and Quentin, Tar- Quentin Tarantino could like switch filmographies somehow, like that would be ideal. Yeah. <laughs> this reminds me of that thing I heard someone say this once about how Adam Sandler is actually like apparently just a great person. Yeah, well, like, you know what like, he makes. Nice guy. <laughs> well, you know why he makes the crummy movies he makes, right? To give yeah. his friends work, yeah. Yeah, to give his, his friends jobs. Like, he doesn't care. He doesn't and care. I, like, I do like him, and when he does a good movie, God, he God, he can be in a good movie. Like, if you ever watch Uncut Gems, he was yes. fucking phenomenal I was that. just, yeah, I was so prepared to bring that up. Uncut Gems was so... <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Oscar, like, yeah, I, I know it was a joke and everything, but complete Oscar snub. He absolutely should have been nominated for his that performance was in that movie. That was one of the worst so snubs I could think of, aside from even though I haven't seen this movie, aside from maybe The Lighthouse. Okay, but you heard him. The Lighthouse was so good. You heard him when he said that if Uncut Gems didn't win an Oscar, that he was going to release, like, three terrible movies on Netflix, right? You know what? I I support him on that one. I think think that's why they didn't give him an Oscar. They were like, yes, give us more cringe, Adam Sandler. (laughs) You know what? I support Adam Sandler in making shitty movies just because he's bitter that the Oscars gave Uncut Gems fucking nothing. He's like, I "I tried for once, and look at what you gave me. Fine. You get what you deserve. I'm just imagining him in the fucking fine, the big final scene of Joker. You get what you fucking deserve. Deserve, Throw, yep. Throws yep. the bad movies at him. Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> well, this I is a, a thing a... I felt about Adam Sandler for a long time. Is there was a period of his career where he tried really hard to make better, more serious movies, and they made no money. You know what? And Adam Sandler's a fucking hero in my book. I don't and care I, what. I, feel like that's just what keeps happening is he keeps tr- he wants to make good art and nobody lets him <laughs> i mean like if the worst you can say about a person is they make crappy movies and keep their friends in work yeah like, you know i can't hate the guy even if i, I can't hate either i mean if I, to be fair if i were able to i would also make entire movies around making an excuse for me to kiss drew barrymore so like that's true i also in the dream <laughs> To make movies. I I mean, I'm not even into ladies, and I would love to make movies where I kiss Drew Barrymore. She just seems like a cool lady. <laughs> uh, Drew Barrymore is one of, like, my favorite people in the world. For such wholesome reasons. She just seems like such a kind, sweet, wholesome person. I find her to be one of the most adorable and likable people that has ever well, she's existed. also very vocal and an activist for um, the rights of child actors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If anybody's going to have a right to talk about that shit, it's it's her. So that was pretty cool because she opened up about a lot of stuff that was very personal, but necessary for somebody to talk about because 
Has she spoken at all about the Britney Spears situation? I don't know. I haven't seen if she has. I'd certainly be interested to hear what she has to say about it, but. It is, it is horrific that. Entire judge, situation, yeah. Just the judges over in L.A. continue to enable this gross miscarriage of justice. It's it's appalling. Yeah. Well, on that unfortunate note, I think we're gonna have we're kind of running low on time, so I think we're gonna wrap this up. Uh, I will let's do what I will quote Crystal directly, and we will need to plug our pluggables as they as she says, which is oh, still yeah. Uh, so check out Batman at the Nam. You can find updates about it on my Twitter at Lucia Lobos Via. Uh, you can check out my Twitch channel at the same name uh, where we do live reads. Cold, completely cold. Sometimes, you know, we're kind of tipsy and fooling around. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> I, can't remember, sorry. I am sober. Um, thank you very much. <laughs> to be dramatic. Uh, but, uh, or you can just, you know, Look for updates on the Batman Athenaeum tag. Um, uh, I, I, wait, Athenaeum is the proper pronunciation. I do Everything know. Everything I know is a lie. It's Athenaeum. I apologize. I just, Athenaeum rolls off the tongue so nicely. I like um, Athenaeum better. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, come check it out. Let us know what you think. Um, we do auditions for it all the time since there's so many characters. Um Come and let us know what you think. That's all. <laughs> Lizzie, you want to promote your stuff? Yes. You can find me anywhere I want you to find me, i.e. Twitter and TikTok, really, at Lizzie Lemondrop. Uh, as I always say, my TikTok is 90% uh, shitposting, but it's a fun place to be. I talk about movies there sometimes. Um, if you go to the link in my bio on Twitter, then you'll go to the website where I post things that I write, which would be awesome if you wanted to read that. Also, um, about to, to plug my favorite band that released a new song today. If you follow me on Twitter, then you know what day this was recorded because I haven't shut up about it all day. Um, I Ice just Nine Kills. You. <laughs> Ice Nine Kills uh, released a new song today called Hip to Be Scared. It is about American Psycho. It's the first single off their new album. I am excited. Yes, I'm plugging a, a band I don't care <laughs> that I'm not at all affiliated with. I just love them and I'm excited for them. So go go stream that. Okay. And you and as always, you can find me on Twitter at Lady Jazzington. You can also find me on Twitch at the same at, under the same name. We've been on a hiatus this week, but we'll be returning next week to continue our playthrough of Super Mario Galaxy. And you can find me on YouTube under the name Jazzy Oliver, where you will see mostly shit posts. But recently, I post I finally got around to posting my demo reel from a year ago onto onto my YouTube channel, as well as my recent visual reel. Uh, Lucia, thank you so much for joining us. This was a very, this was an immensely fun podcast to do, and I hope you also had fun. Thank you for having me. I always have a fun time with you. And Lizzie, it was wonderful to get to meet you. I it followed you wonderful. on Twitter, so thank all you. of your memes will be mine now. <laughs> it was wonderful to meet you, too. This was a great conversation, guys. Thank you. Alrighty. Uh, thank you for for listening to the Gals of Geekdom podcast. I almost fumbled that line, but I made the save. Uh, tune in next time. Take care. Oh, 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 oh,